0: It's Callum Newman here with the uh, Fat Tale Investment Research Podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you with me today. Um, I've got a very special guest for you today, actually. He's my old mate, Murray Dawes. He's the investment director of Australian Small Cap Investigator, and also the uh, the trader for the Pivot Trading Service, and he's been in the game a long time. And he's going to tell us a little bit about a, a major warning sign that's uh, We won't say red, we'll say it's gone orange for the moment, but uh, it is indicating a little bit of stress in the market. But before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about the recent concern around the Chinese property market. It's uh, really interesting for me. I'm sure you would have read about the uh, company Evergrande, which is one of the biggest property developers over there. Uh, a lot of scare stories about it going into default, and iron ore, which is obviously tied very closely to China, has got absolutely hammered. Um, down about at one point it went from 230 bucks a ton down to 90. It sits bounced. So BHP, Rio, and Fortescue all got hammered over September, and of course we had the market sell down in September as well. So I just I'd sort of touch base on that. I've I've I, I put aside info about China when I think it's important. and uh, My view is that crisis will be contained. Um, And to touch briefly on it, it's not news to the Chinese government, the the property's in trouble, and they've been trying to reduce leverage in the Chinese property market for a long time. So I believe they have the contingency plans in place to contain that. But you don't have to take my word for it because we can see it via the share prices of the three stocks I just mentioned, which is Rio, BHP, and Fortescue and the iron ore market. So, if the market was uh, concerned or further concerned about the problem in China, we'd expect iron ore to go down even further, and we'd expect them to co- uh, keep falling. Now, as of now, um, iron ore uh, iron ore today is up five percent. So it's it's gone back over one hundred twenty bucks a ton. Uh, now, the interesting thing about that is that it's, it's still a very, very high price for iron ore. It just shows you how crazy ridiculous iron ore was over $200. So I went back through Rio uh, annual reports for the last five years. I mean, most of the time, the iron ore price was under $100. Uh, so again, it doesn't indicate major stress to me. So there may actually be an opportunity to take a look at those stocks, if, especially if you're interested in income because they have big cash flows. Uh, And it could be a potential opportunity to to get an entry on those. And I'm not recommending it because we don't do that in that podcast. But just look at it. And another way to, if you are worried about a Chinese property collapse, you can use those uh, stocks as a bit of a guide. So if they they hold steady or start trending up again, well, that would be the market saying, for the moment, it's not worried about further contagion from China. So I thought I'd give you that uh, thought for today um, and something to watch for. I know today's so recording this on Monday, those stocks are up today, where the market itself has been fairly weak. So, again, just indicates to me that the market has got comfortable where the China property situation is. And now it's a question of where we go from here. But I would suggest that it gives us a good place to put a stake in the ground and see how things trade from here. So, I'll leave you with that thought about iron ore and China. And now we're going to go and talk to Murray, who's going to tell us about what's been happening in the US and why he's a little bit worried that we might see further volatility across all asset markets. So get ready for Murray. Well, I mentioned earlier that today I would have my colleague on Murray Doors. And Mars, I hate to introduce you this way, but um, my wife pointed out that my name's Callum and your name is Murray. So it's the Calamari podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Glad
0: to be here. <laughs> Sponsored by, <laughs> Sponsored by Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about that sponsorship. Uh, <laughs> we got you on because one of the, the key themes you've been tracking in your service uh, is what's happening with uh, the US bond rate which is tied in with inflation. Now, the background to this, of course, is we've had this massive surge around the world in power prices, coal and gas is going bananas. Now, suddenly the big guys are getting worried about what this all means. Uh, And everything, as you know, pivots around what happens at interest rates in America. Can you fill Mm -hmm. us in what you've been watching, what you're seeing, and where you think it's going?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really important for people to focus in on the US bonds right now. Most of the time they're incredibly boring and, and uh, not much goes on and you sort of look at them every few months to see what's happening and usually it's very little. But uh, we're just in a situation now, especially on my technical model, where I'm my ears are really pricked up. Uh, we're, we're heading towards the um, tapering, you know, that's that's coming next month potentially. So that's going to be less asset purchases, less buying by the Fed of U.S. bonds, which will possibly see a a rise in rates. Just on the back of that, we have huge infrastructure bills coming down the pike, trillions of dollars of spending that will increase supply of U.S. bonds. Uh, You know, we have inflation figures already really high, so that real rates are negative, and we have this crisis going on worldwide with uh, LNG, coal, oil prices going vertical, which ends up feeding through into inflation, of course. So you're you're starting at a very high point with inflation and you're going to kick in this crisis on top. Uh, So for me, looking at the US 10 years at one and a half percent is like, wow, that could go a lot higher very quickly if things start to really turn. And and I want to show you the technicals because for me, it's about the perfect setup for me uh, to show you you, you really the, the crux of my model of what I look for. So if we have a look here, this is the US 10 year bond yield chart. And it's very important for people to understand when the yield is dropping, that means the price is going up. And when the yield is going up, that means the price of those bonds is dropping. So this chart's a bit of a topsy turvy chart. So I don't want people to be confused. So just looking at this chart over the last 10 years, we had this rise in yields back in 2013, 2014. And that really set up the, the conditions. For the range trading that's gone on for the past decade. So, and people, if they've watched my videos or read my articles, they know that I look for these false breaks of a range where prices end up heading back towards the point of control. It's like mean reversion. You know, prices try to get away from the mean, from the, the midpoint. And when they fail to do that, they return to that midpoint. So, if we just look at that in relation to that monthly chart, I just want you to focus on the fact that we've got this range that's been set up and really yields have oscillated around that for the past 10 years. So you can see we've had false breaks of either edge of that range and yields go back to the midpoint. And this is the most important point of what I want to say is that midpoint or the point of control, as I call it, uh, of that 10 years trading. And that's a really pretty uh, uh, POC written there, isn't it? Terrible. Now, 2.2% 2.2% is that midpoint of that range of the past decade of trading. And when we had the COVID crash, yields got absolutely hammered down to 0.3 of 1%. Now, that actually is, uh, funnily enough, a, a Fibonacci level outside that range, which I think is very important, the the 618 the, the range, outside the range. That's where I can often see reversals, big reversals. And we did see that uh at that point, And that's where uh, yields have basically moved higher from, from that 0.3% rate up to 1.8%. Now, the last few months, yields have backed off. Everything's got rallied again. All the tech stocks have taken off again. Everyone's calmed down, said, oh, it's all fine. But just in the last few weeks, last month, we've seen uh, those yields base. They headed back to about 1% and they're just shooting higher now. Now, the main point I want to say is that if we head back above that 1.78 region, which is only less than 20 basis points away, it could be there in three days, we don't know. But if we see yields heading back above that point, which is the high in yields that we got earlier in the year, basically my model says that it really should be, have a quite a quick trip back to that point of control, which is around 2.2%. So that really is what my model is saying, that we're at a point where it could really accelerate And with everything that's going on with tapering, with, you know, the infrastructure, with uh, inflation taking off, uh, all of those things are pointing to me as a a bit of a, uh, uh, the chance is increasing that we could actually see a bit of a disorderly sell off in those 10 year bonds. And if that happens, uh, the equity markets will react, the the tech stocks will sell off, gold could come under pressure if real yields really do spike higher. So it's just one of those things that I think, um, yeah, usually the bonds, you ignore them. Uh, Right now, I think you shouldn't
0: ignore them. So essentially, from your perspective, as you're saying, this is a a, a risk threshold that's gone up a little bit, those flashing, maybe orange, red, before it was green, if you like. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, it's it's been at a point where, where, you know, we've got a a decade-long uh, fall in yields I mean that's the, the trend down in yields isn't under threat yet. basically the 10-year bond yields would have to go above 3% to threaten the you know multi-decade long downtrend in those bonds. So you know the chances are we'll probably see a spike in yields growth will really come off and those yields uh, the bonds will get bored again. but we're just in the phase now where, where I think, we could see uh, the yield actually surprise to the upside. And I think if that happens, it's just going to be something that if you're managing your portfolio, you just need to be aware that we could be on the edge of quite a sharp sell-off that sort of surprises many in the market.
0: And we should say that this is a really difficult market to get a grip around. When you were doing your uh, point about the point of control, I I remembered uh, that uh, point in 2016, I don't know if you remember it, but the the man they call the Bond King, um, Jeffrey Gundlach, came out and said, "Yeah, I'm putting it on the line. This is the the bottom, the bottom in rates. Uh, it's you know, it's up from here." Da 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 da, da. And he was right for uh, I think about a year and a half, two years, and um, I don't know what he thought afterwards. But as we know, it, it COVID came along and and drove it down even further in the end. So it's well, they do. Call I just. Up-
1: yeah, I think it's called the widow-maker trade, trying to <laughs> yeah, short. Well, there's a few, there's a few of those, short, but it's yeah, definitely yeah. one of them.
0: <laughs> but I still remember back in 2012, like even a, a titan of the investment world, Jim Rogers, going, no, I'm short government bonds, you know, the Fed's printing too many and it's, it's going to be inflationary and all this sort of stuff, and here we are in 2021, and as you say, it never really happened. So it's been really tricky. But I guess this is what makes it so interesting that – um that it has gone on so much longer than everybody thought. Well, essentially, as you said before, it's been going on since the '80s. This massive, mm. uh, yeah, well, it's so a it's whole old, generation yeah. of
1: falling yields. That's all we're used
0: to. Uh, so it's it is going to cause volatility, or well, I think we can definitely say that. Now you mentioned gold; there could get hit in the US, so the gold futures generally trade in the US. Here in Australia, we It's just one thing I was talking about in the daily reckoning today. Is such a a weird dynamic going on. Our gold miners have been smashed in the last year. They've been absolutely hammered down. Um, they tried to rally earlier this year. They couldn't hold on. Um, they seem to be sort of based around now. Um, the Aussie dollar has has come under pressure too. So the Aussie dollar margin for gold producers is really good. So they've got these big cash flows. But obviously, the market was was obviously I would. Uh, say, worried about the scenario you're painting now because it just sold them down anyway. So when you're talking about gold in the US getting smashed, do you think that the Aussie stocks have discounted that a little bit already?
1: Yeah, I'm actually starting to see a bit of buying, a bit of bottom fishing um, come into those gold stocks. And I've actually been uh, collating a bit of a list of what my favourite gold stocks are Um, ready to to go, because a few of them have come right back to a point where I think they are going to be good buying. But the only thing holding me back is the fact that the bonds look so sketchy and I'm a bit worried that we'll see another leg down. I think if we do see another leg down in gold through 1680, which has been the low for this year of this whole correction um, for the past year, I think there could be a bit of panic selling under there. Um, But I think that will push it down into very strong uh, buying support. So uh, I guess my view is that if we do see, um, you know, inflation picking up, which causes uh, the bonds to sell off, or if it's you know the, the taper announcement or the infrastructure bills, whatever it is that can cause it, if we do see those rates spike higher than people expect and gold gets hit, I, I think that will ultimately be a great buying opportunity. If if we do see that level crack, but if the sixteen eighty level holds. And then you know things turn back up. I think that yeah, the gold stocks are starting to look like um, good value.
0: Well, I certainly agree. I've been watching them too, and uh, it's been really interesting. And you have to wonder what the response from the Fed would be if we get these yields pushing up. The whole narrative is is kind of been well, they're going to start to raise interest rates. They're going to taper. As you say, well, maybe that doesn't become an option for them, and they have to step in to push the yields back down again, um, which would shuffle all the pieces around again. So it's a really dynamic and I guess well volatile market, not just the market itself, but the different responses that uh, come in from all the the big. Yeah, markets. well,
1: it, it is I mean, it's, it's so hard to try to have a, a macro view of what's going to happen and trying to second guess what the Fed's going to do. And I mean, that, that you know that's probably why I uh, may have views on all of those things, but ultimately I'll I'll try to listen to what the market's telling me through the the charts to to make sure that I'm not sort of walking into a brick wall. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I
0: I know myself, I, I had gold, uh, recommendations and, uh, I was just watching, you know, earlier in the year, and I'm like, "This is, we're in wrong. Like, this is not the place to be right now. Like, they were just getting sold down. Um, and so, as you know, I just I just cleaned them out one day and just said, "No, yep. we're stepping to the sidelines here because you've just got to watch what the market does every day and what the price action tells you. Yeah, because uh, sometimes
1: it can just be a matter of you know uh, some big shareholders uh, with that own 10 percent of the stock or or whatever might be saying, "I want to sell down." Um, and for them to sell down, it can take months. So you can be scratching your head and reading great announcements and, and thinking that stocks should be going up. And uh, the, the volume uh, that needs to be sold is such that the stock goes nowhere or goes down. So there's there's all these factors that can, you know, bring any uh, best played best laid plans of anyone uh, a cropper. So, you know, you've just got to go with the flow and, you and, uh, and be willing to be wrong and and run away when you have to and and then try to jump on a trend and, and hope you survive.
0: Yeah, well that's the trading life, isn't it? So it's a very different dynamic if you're a, you know, you're running a your self-managed super fund and you've got your long-term positions there and you're you're trying to farm it for income and all that sort of stuff, as opposed to being a a, a trader where you can use that volatility to your advantage, which is something I try and do, obviously. Uh You know, I have a list of stocks that I want to get on board, and if we get a a market-driven sell-down, I can sort of go, well, you know, I'm happy with that entry price. So, uh, I mean, for people that don't know your work, do you try and use volatility in a similar way?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as I was just showing you on that chart of looking at how those ranges develop, how those uh, false breaks develop, you know, I I sort of look for those uh, mean reversion um, points, uh, which I think are like a you know gravitational point that the market's going back and forth through, even when it's trending. So I'll sort of look for those points where I can get on and get a quick trip, a quick trip to that mean reversion place, that point of control, and I'll take part profit so that I then create a free option to see what happens next. Um, so really, I'm just trying to plant these little seeds in the market where I can. And it's all based on a you know fundamental view of the, the stock or whatever it is. Saying you know I really like it but I want to make sure that i'm I'm entering at a point where I've got a, a good you know risk reward good probabilities to be able to create that free option and then I don't care because I mean I I, I know that I don't know you know you don't know the future you've you've just got to uh, manage the way you behave in the market to, to give yourself the best chance to survive for one and then worry about you know making money
0: absolutely and to be a The other thing with that when you get those volatile down moves is you can put a a stop loss there if you get a bit of a recovery and then you go, well, if it breaks below that, then that's a warning sign. But, you know, I expect it to go up, which I wrote a little bit about this idea in the the DR last week where I was watching uh, Rio Tinto and I had the view that it had got so smashed that it was probably oversold a little bit. Um, And on Friday and today it's jumped up a little bit because Iron Ore's bounced uh, on the futures exchange. And now we don't know whether that's going to continue, but that, that low point on the stock gives you a reference point. And I remember yeah. my old trader mate Terrence, you know, he'd say, well, you know, you can put your stop loss there if you're going short term and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, if it goes below that, well, you just get out and, you know, reassess. But as you say, you can then, if the recovery continues and then buying comes in, the bargain hunters and the, the dividend guys, um, you can try and surf that sort of bounce back. So, there's lots of different ways to trade the, the market, and you've got um, a technical sort of uh, mix with fundamentals as well, and, and that can lead to longer term opportunities or shorter term ones, uh, which gives us a nice segue into some of the positions you've done in energy, where you did position very early in the uranium uh, sector and you got on board. With oil and gas and coal, I think at various stages. Yeah. Um, and one of what, do you want to say perhaps what took you to those?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, look, uh, ultimately, there was an overlying, you know, fundamental basis where you're looking at markets like uranium, which had been, you know, <clears throat> killed for a decade. And it was starting to pick up that there was a bit of a base basing formation starting to come in. And, you know, just reading about it, you could see that the, the demand supply dynamic there was starting to shift and that within a year or two, things were going to change. Um, so it was not necessarily knowing what was going to happen. It was just starting to see that this is an area where there could be quite a sharp shift. When, you ha- when you've had a market that's been oversupplied for a decade, and then it starts to pick up and starts to turn, It's there could be a really great opportunity there. And Paladin, which we got into at about 12 cents before it had the big run to a dollar, it was all based on what I was talking about. These these distributions of price, getting on at a point, capturing the, the move back to the, the middle and then creating a free option to see what happens. I mean, do I know when I entered it at 12 cents that it would go to a dollar? No, no way, Didn't didn't have a clue. Um, but it was just about setting yourself up in, into these positions where you can at least see what happens next by creating that free option. Um, and with you know with the coal and oil and gas, I mean, it's, it's been brewing for a while. I mean, I, I saw the, the big spikes in gas that was happening in Asia, and I was scratching my head why Woodside Petroleum was going down every day. And then they announced the BHP deal, and then everyone was saying, oh, we're selling BHP. Uh, selling Woodside because all the BHP shareholders will dump their stock as soon as they get it. So you saw Woodside getting absolutely hammered, and gas prices were going vertical, and you, and then you started to hear what was happening in Europe and UK, and it all started to add up that there was this massive divergence developing uh, because you had fund managers, yes, you know, selling the stock because they thought, oh, we can't own this stock, and it's you know, our investors don't want us to own this stuff. So they're selling them at really cheap prices while the, the what they're the commodity they're selling is going vertical up 400%. So so it didn't take a genius to, to <laughs> see that there was something weird going on here and and you've just I, got I, to have a stab at it.
0: <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about because I had a similar situation with a an oil and gas stock I followed for years and I I just I kept looking at it I was like it 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 had some problems and and all that sort of stuff but one, I, I sort of put the chart of oil against the chart of the stock, and oil had gone, you know, at a you know forty-five degree thing for ages, and you know going up towards the the ceiling, and and then the little oil and gas stock had gone nowhere. And you go, what? You see this situation all the time in the market. You go, is it me? Am I missing something? Is is the market discounting something that I'm not I'm not reading right? Or, but there are just these situations where uh, I think ideas especially with oil and gas because we had the environmental concerns and all that a lot of divestment from the investment funds and that but there was just so much value there when and so when you look at a trade like that you go well how big can the downside be when everybody's dumped it already mm. and it's got so much cash coming in that it's a profitable business yeah you know it gives you a really low risk entry point uh, yeah. and you never know what's going to happen of course and you know they have can have production problems and all that sort of stuff Yeah, there's so many of those opportunities around, and that's part of what you look for, isn't it, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and look, it's
1: never easy because it can stay, you know, can stay going against you for longer than you thought. Like we bought Woody's before the BHP announcement, um, and and it went down like a stone as soon as we entered for a while. But thankfully it never hit my stop loss. Um, But uh, we still had to sit in it for, you know, a month watching it Tick down every day with me scratching my head, wondering what on earth was going on. Um, but once the BHP deal happened, I realised you know that was probably the the reasons why that selling was about before the deal and after it, and it really pushed it to a point which was just silly. And um, but yeah, you never know. Um, you've you've, yeah. you've got to just set your stoppies and and hope for the best.
0: In in light of what's happened, who's getting the? Do you have a view on who's getting the better deal? Is it the Woodside guys getting? The VHP assets or I, BHP you know, I, think, I think
1: ultimately it will be the Woodside guys will have done really well. Yeah, especially if you see all hitting 100 bucks, and uh, they've just bought these, you know, tier one assets um, at the bottom dollar, really. Uh, but, but, I mean, they're merging, you know, and, and the deal is 55% Woody's or whatever, 45 VHP. So if Woody's rallies, uh, you know, I think they're, they're all going to be okay. It's probably a fair deal. But ultimately um, Woodside could be sitting pretty over the next few years um, and I think they'll still surprise to the upside.
0: Well, that's interesting. I own BHP so I've got a bit of woodies coming to me if I hang on. Nice. <laughs> I have to watching. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. I've got to say it's funny. It's so funny with me with oil because in 2018 I was, I was saying to everybody and I, I really did believe, sorry, towards the end of 2019, I thought – Oil was at risk of spiking, and I was like, you know, there's been um underinvestment in the sector for ages. Um, and earlier, so it was in 2018, so I was I had been thinking that uh and moving along those lines, and oil got absolutely smashed. Uh, in the remember, in the last quarter of 2018, the US market just tanked. Yeah. Um, and oil got caught up in all that. Um, so, and now everyone's getting bullish on oil, and i i think I'm still mentally scarred from, <laughs> from that period. So I'm still—I'm still wary of oil. Um, but I, I can say that. I and mean, when you talk about expectations and things going, I've been skeptical all year, and it's gone up. Yeah. Um, so again, with the psychology of markets, you—you you get guys like me who—who who are maybe held off and held off and held off. And then suddenly they're like, well, you know, I'm wrong. I've, I've got to get in or I should get in, kind of thing. And that's how you can sort of get these uh, upside swings that last uh, uh, a lot longer than, than you might think and, and all that sort of stuff. And then something happens and it scrabbles all the, the board again. Well, I think, I think,
1: yeah, for, for me, training myself to trust the charts, despite my view, um, is hard. Like it really is to, to just say, right, the charts are saying that, that you're wrong. The, the trend has shifted doesn't matter how much work you've done on this um, you're probably wrong for the moment so get out or you know and it is a really hard thing to train yourself to do to to ignore what's going on in your head and to look at what's happening and say no I'm going to trust that rather than trusting what's going on in my head and it's a really tough thing to do and i still trip over um, that one um, but hopefully you don't blow yourself up in the meantime
0: <laughs> well, and I should say, this comes back to how we approach things at uh, Fatale Media. Like, it's so seductive to read people who agree with you. If you have a viewpoint, you want to hear from the guys that agree with you and you go, oh, isn't he, you know, spot on. <laughs> but you need to read from the guys that don't agree with you because so often they're right and you're wrong, or at least in the short term, or they have a different viewpoint, or, you know, yeah. there's always someone else on the other side of the trade. So I know people who sign up to multiple ser- uh, services often get frustrated because you might go, I'm excited about oil and gas. And then I'll go, oh, geez, I'm a bit sketchy on it. I'm not sure. Um, but that's just the nature of the market, isn't it? You have to absorb uh, where everybody's positioned, what they're thinking. And then ultimately, you, especially in your case as a, a trader, you, you, you go with what the market is, is going with uh, as much as you can. Yeah, well,
1: I mean, look, you can be a bull, I can be a bear, and we can both make money. Um, it depends on how we trade and how we um, position ourselves and where our stoppies are and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, uh, bulls and bears can make money and pigs get slaughtered. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, that is, and that is a very old expression. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, I, I think we can leave it there. So yep. the takeaway for today's talk, as far as the, the pressure building in the US government bond market, is a danger sign in general for asset markets because it it's going to cause volatility and it's going to be hard to read. Um, so I guess in your case, uh, with a, a trader's view, you're either limiting how many new positions you're going to take, you're going to tighten your stop losses. What, what do you do going forward? Yeah, I've, I've
1: been already. taking profits for a while now just to lower exposure, but I'm still long. Um, like the equities can look fantastic again with a good week, you know, but at the moment the weekly for me is negative. So um, I'm just wary that it could turn into a bit more. So while the, pre- the selling pressure is there in the US equities, I'm just, and the US bonds look like they do, I'm just sort of taking a bit of money and, and uh, you know, not 100% long now and just seeing how it plays out because uh, we know it can all change on a dime depending on what the Fed says or whatever. Um, so just uh, that's sort of my view at the moment is treading a bit carefully.
0: All right, and for those that want to follow you, you do a weekly update at the end of the week, right? You do a sort of ASX wrap-up. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. people on, on, follow on, you for that?
1: Yeah, on Saturday, the um, Closing Bell video, they can check out. Um, I do an article there, The Trader's Corner, um, where I sort of write, write about different uh, aspects of trading and uh, then do a bit of a, a market wrap and have a look at, you know, if there's any little stocks that I think are looking interesting or whatever.
0: All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, uh, Muzz, and nice I thank one. you, and we'll do it again soon. Excellent. Look forward to it. All righty there. That was Murray Dawes from Pivot Trader, an old mate of mine uh, as well. And uh, as he said, you can catch up with his closing bell uh, summary every week and we shall uh, pop the link into that as well. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.